back to another edition of Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I apologize in advance for this stuffy nose uh, that you might hear or may not hear. Uh, it is getting near that part of the year, uh, October, Rocktober, if you will, um, fall. And uh, and so the, the germs come out and they get in your nose and, and this this has happened. So so there you go. There was a sniff for you. Um, I haven't, had, haven't said this in, in a while on one of these podcasts because I was saying it all the time, but this really is one of the favorite uh, podcasts that I've put together, that we've put together here. Uh, one of my favorite conversations I've had since we started cranking up the interviews and stuff. Uh, I'm talking about uh, sitting down with one Louis Weeks. Um, if you're in D.C., you probably know him. Uh, you should know him. If you're in D.C. or elsewhere in the world, uh, he is a uh, multifaceted musician. He is a wears a producer hat, a musician hat, multi-instrumentalist, uh, singer, songwriter. Uh, actually, makes music for a living. All these things you're going to find out about him. Uh, I will say, been doing music, in music, around music all my life. I'm not, and I'm not really generally get intimidated. Uh, talking to people about music but uh louis is a smart motherfucker and uh, <laughs> it was uh it was just a uh, it's just a fun conversation but it, there was a couple times it was like whoa damn like this kid he's 26 uh he is he is swimming deep in the oceans of uh music and how to make it and knowledge of it so uh if you don't have or have not heard his debut album shift away that came out uh, earlier this year spoiler alert it is in my top 10 it's pretty high up there uh it's not just one of the best records uh, made by a dc or dc-ish musician this year it's one of the best records made this year period so uh go out and get that maybe even listen to that before listening to this i think it'll it'll put a lot of stuff in context let me put a few songs in here for you uh but uh, the fact that this is happening in D.C. in our backyard is just sort of icing on the cake. So I'm going to stop sniffling now. I'm going to stop going on. Uh, I sort of lay on the praise uh, exuberantly throughout the podcast, and it is well-deserved. So, uh, Louie, thanks for stopping by and talking to us. But uh, here we go. This is episode number 87 of Junkie Glasses, the podcast, with the fairly remarkable Louie Weeks. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review just a shit sandwich. That right there he is a wonderful power.
That was a cool show. He was really interesting. It, it was a cool show. But it was actually, uh, and I mean, we're sort of rolling, so just edit whenever. Yeah. But uh, that's actually why I was like, shit, I got to talk to this kid. Oh, cool. Yeah, thank um, you. It was, when you think of house shows, they're not very complicated, not very right. theatric, and all of a sudden yeah. you sit down with your laptop gear and it's like, oh, wow, this is like well, super I, fucking entertaining. Well, thanks. So, yeah, I mean, so, like, so, yeah. Well, I, I just like, uh, I forget. I think it was maybe a, a year and a half ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I had did a house show with Ugly Purple Sweater mm-hmm. in uh, w- what was now what has become my house in Mount Pleasant, uh, and one of the things that I decided to do was I just said, oh, you know what, I'm going to try and get as close to the studio setup as I can, right? Um, and just br- I brought my speakers along and we'd set it up. And I later I kind of look back on that and think that was kind of the turning point for me where it's like I didn't have to uh, change my studio setup very right. much. Kind of take what I do well and just bring it into the – Yeah. Because I, I don't do the like just a guy and a guitar thing very well. Right. I tried that for a long time. And, yeah. Um, I, it, it's, it's not something that um, I was able to really – uh, wrap my head around and one of the things that i think my records do um where i try and lean away from that is like bring in other sounds and yeah. get really quiet and and keep it there so yeah so when i when i realized you could do that in a living room absolutely it was, like, it was like yeah so to describe like what you do in a living room you basically have it's sort of like an interactive uh i guess banter between songs <laughs> yeah there was the banter bot running on that <laughs> and, one yeah. yeah there was the banter bot running on that one um and uh you're playing songs off your debut album shift away yeah and there might have been some new some new ones on there were there too, some new ones off, off it, the upcoming it was one. the first time we'd seen it, it was like yeah were, i think there were that was with zach uh the bassist from humble fire yep and saxophonist ethan helm from uh, from new york uh or down from new york um so i think there were some new ones on mm-hmm. there uh, but they're not going to be out on the record until later next year. So you're making a new record now? Yeah, the new record's done. New record? Oh, shit. The new yes, record is is done, and but I, I like uh, we're still working on you know promoting and playing out the old record. Yeah, yeah. Because um, there's still like a lot of people that haven't heard it. Yeah. Basically, it, I just play DC. That's all I do. Yeah, yeah. But you're back and forth between DC and Baltimore. I mean, you were saying, yeah, you live here, commute in Baltimore. I live in DC, commute into Baltimore for work, and. Uh, kind of have my foot in in both worlds a little bit because i grew up in baltimore right and and lived there for a while after i came back from college and so i uh where'd you go to school i went to bowdoin college up in maine it's yeah. a tiny little yeah, yeah. liberal arts school about 40 minutes north of portland wonderful institution uh so i came back and i um i uh i lived in baltimore lived in patterson park mm-hmm. um and then I was kind of in that Baltimore scene for a little while and started doing house shows here when I saw like what was happening with the house shows yeah, in yeah. DC is very different from the Baltimore one, uh-huh. which is that, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the Baltimore scene has these four or five established venues right. like Fifth Dimension or uh, Floristry and, and, and they have their own scene. Yeah. And I feel like DC was just starting to create it's yeah it's it's been popping up uh absolutely and, and especially it's you know there's always been a scene for, yeah well of course yeah but for people like me there hasn't been a scene for the type of music that i do in terms of like um uh i feel like you know obviously the hardcore 
scene in the yeah in the punk scene. That's historic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 uh, DC exactly. It's it's, it's, it's a weird um, it's a DIY aesthetic. Yeah, but DIY back then didn't necessarily mean like strictly like do it yourself. It meant we're punk as fuck and fuck everybody else. Yes, and now you're seeing um, that open up a lot more. Yeah, uh, and I think that, that I don't know you. A lot of your stuff you do in the studio, but a lot of your stuff like you can't do on a laptop. Yeah. Yes, no. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's opened up a lot of the DIY stuff. Um, what's sort of fascinating, I think, about what you're doing is that a lot of it isn't necessarily that good to somebody say my age, <laughs> old ears. I mean, we established you're what 26 now. Yeah. So I'm significantly older than that. Yeah. Um, and something about shift away. As, as this happened with two other albums this year, it was literally out mowing the lawn and something just clicked. Yeah. And I couldn't tell if it was your voice and I, I couldn't tell quite what it was, but then it starts dragging you into it. So at this point yeah. in the year, that was a couple of months ago. Uh, I think that's actually, I came in and uh, contacted Steve. I was like, hey, can you know this guy, Lewis? Yeah. Um, and. You know, it's it's rapidly becoming one of my favorite albums this year. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's there's if somebody listening hasn't heard it, uh, I mean, how how would you describe it? God, uh, I think well, I, when people ask me what I do, and rather than tell them what I think it sounds like, mm-hmm. I I tend to go through my process, which is I started Perfect. writing like acoustic music mm-hmm. on piano and guitar, and then basically I I wrote. The, the tunes that way and then i started over i i took those tunes and i like completely rearranged them for a computer okay and then i started to work my way back towards acoustic and i tried to kind of be in the venn diagram of both mm-hmm. um and so what you get is is like i think a song harmonically uh that obviously started on a guitar or a piano and has like a melody and very clear chord progression. And then, and then I, um, I take it into this, this other computer world and then I kind of slowly bring it back, uh, when I feel like it's maybe getting away from, from the original, right. Uh, intention or, or or basically where I feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, my whole process is a balancing act. Um, and I think that, uh, that's really the best way I could describe my own music. It's like it, does, it, does that come from a um, uh, an aesthetic of say what you grew up listening to, what you enjoy, or an aesthetic? Because I mean, uh, you know, you can't listen to this and not be, not just think, oh, the guys heard Beach House. But I, I think a lot of bands involved. I mean, and that's, I don't yeah. mean that in a bad way. No, no, that's I, you're, I, the, you're the first person who's ever said that. And I that's, don't. That's that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, you can't hear. You, I mean. There's there's very layered things that they do uh-huh. um, that are very present in this mm-hmm. that a lot of people try to copy badly, and it's it doesn't sound like you're trying to copy it. It just sounds like hey, I've heard it. This is informing, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm doing. So what 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 are some of the other stuff that like sort of informed like you to take this approach to this? Uh, well, I okay. So first of all, I think that that's really cool that you're beach house in there. I don't think I was. L- I obviously loved uh, the first Beach House, not the yeah. first, uh, um, like Bloom or exactly or Teen Dream. Teen Dream, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, not the biggest fanboy if I can't name the, well, the records. Neither am I. I just <laughs> I just talk about music a lot. Uh, and so I listened to that, and I 
kind of really what I took from that record was uh, a, a nice place for vocals to sit. Mm-hmm. Like I just love the way that um, the, the vocals are really just really far back in the mix, but they're layered and they 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 fill out the whole spectrum. Yeah. All right. So so they fill out the whole spectrum. Yeah. And um, there's something very kind of minimalist about the chord progressions. Yeah. I I obviously dig that. But where I come from musically is kind of a – like my process, like a a jumping back and forth between crazy worlds. Like I started out classical piano and there's a while when I was really young when I thought like I'll probably just like – play Chopin for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, when, when did you start playing? I started when I was like eight, which is like insanely late for a kid. Like I was like, I went to teachers. Yeah. I took piano when I was five. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. That is sort of, yeah. No. You did it right. Yeah. No, I did it wrong. Because I, like, I don't play anymore. <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't. Uh, so I like, I went up to auditions in New York and this guy was like, no, 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 you, this is, you, this will never happen for you. You're like, you started way too late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I like wanted to like dedicate my life to it. Uh, and then um, I started getting into kind of folk music mm-hmm. uh, when I was in like high school. And, and so I jumped, I totally jumped ship sure. from classical music to that. And then in college, I came in lo- like I was the folk dude. Like I played mandolin and I played banjo and I played guitar. And I t- <laughs> Did you wear a vest? <laughs> I, th- there was no vest, but I, I, th- I thought about it. I don't have the torso. Right. Um, and then – uh, I heard, I took a music class like everybody in college and like, I heard some John Cage recordings. Yeah. Um, and it blew my mind. And then I started, and then really I started listening to Wilco, especially right. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And I was like, oh, you can take some of these noise, um, aspects, these like soundscapes and you can bring them into tr- traditional songwriting. And, right, right. And so I feel like it's, it's slowly, that's my musical journey has been like, jumping back and forth from extremes mm-hmm. um, and kind of bringing it closer and closer to where I am now. Yeah. In college, I was in like, I was in a barbershop quartet. Okay. Um, and so I just, I, I got obsessed with close harmony. And then at the same time, I was also listening to like uh, Iron and Wine and just the, that single voice and yeah. then slowly kind of figuring out how can I like bring those, that harmony together with the intimacy of, you know, a single voice. Right. So, Basically, I have these two coordinates at the far end of the grid, and I just try and, and you're just bring trying it. to trying to bring it in to find a balance. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and that's one of the things it shows. So, if you look at like a song like uh, Bloodline or Heartland and stuff, yeah. And that, that's really what, like, it, and uh, I've heard a lot of people say that. You know, they're like, Lewis, you know, you know, that's the thing they pick up on. They're like, that guy can fucking sing. <laughs> um, 
on those it's sort of buried, which is which is interesting because it yeah. it, it for me at least it lended itself to a thing where when you find it, then it's like oh this is a whole another layer. Right? Do you um, ever think about just stripping that away and do it? Because I mean, like Heartland is, and well, both Heartland and Bloodline are fairly simple songs you could do it like uh yeah bloodline could be like a like a jeff buckley torch song yeah and yet it sort of is floating in the this weird miasma of shit yeah awesome shit but yeah yeah. um i mean do you have any interest in stripping that away and well i think that have you you done that at shows i I, yeah that's it there are some moments in i think in shift away where it's uh, like I think Calder specifically mm-hmm. is like the most stripped away. Um, and what I, I really have to be confident in the lyrics in order for me to do that. I'm really hard on myself. I think in terms of, I, well, I spend a lot of time on lyrics right. and I'm very, uh, very tough on myself about making sure that every word is working really hard and Mm -hmm. lots of double meanings, lots of, lots of elided metaphors and and lots of imagery that kind of overlaps. And yeah. Um, and so with, I really have to be confident, uh, with the words in order for me to be like, okay, now it's just, it's just going to be about the words. Right. Um, so, so does it, you're not quite there like confidence wise with it? No, it's, it's just that I, I don't think that, um, I don't. I don't think that in the, that sometimes people want to be told. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that a lot of times people want to find it themselves. Yeah. Uh, Steve and I talk a lot about mondegreens, about uh, like accidental mishearings of lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and how powerful those are as as like a a uh, a listening experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a song in his next record about it. It's it's really and, and moments like that for me. I can think back to the music and the joke is you know the Jimi Hendrix song. Excuse me while I kiss this yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's it's funny and it's it's got a pun right. quality to it. But it's also about you. Uh, listeners get to bring their own baggage and their own projections to music, right? Um, and if you kind of don't grab them by the the wrist and and yank them around, mm-hmm. I, I think that the the relationship between listener and, and music maker is like a little bit more cohesive or a little bit more um, symbiotic. If mm-hmm. if like I write these lyrics and I'm confident in them, but in this in the moment in the song, like I think it needs to be pulled back and it needs to be yeah. like. So does that does that make sense? No, it does. It sounds like you're. I mean. It sounds like what you're saying is you're very aware of the fact that almost, you know, like, uh, you know, you brought up Wilco, you know, Jeff Tweedy said a lot that like once you, once you put it out there, it's, mm-hmm. it's, n- it's not yours. He's not the only one who said that. It's like right. some other people, I mean, look, you name drop pavement in the, like the first line of the first song of the album. Yeah. who's your Between self and self 
Can, that's actually something Daria really picked up on. I, I didn't even hear it. Yeah. And then I went back and, and heard it, and I was like, oh. And it's something that can color not just that song, I think, how you think of the entire album. It's very referential, yeah. yeah. Because everybody has their experience with, like, that. Yeah. And so they can listen to the whole thing, and they think, oh, this whole thing is about something not pavement-related, but, you know, whatever you associate that. It's usually a lot of people is, like, college like mm-hmm. in rock and stuff like that. But yeah, and so you can get stuff like that. And there is a lot of this stuff going on in the record. Well, Pavement's a cool example in terms of like what what's so uh, compelling to me about that vocal performance mm-hmm. is just the way that um, intentionality plays into it. There is such a... It's such a studied and, and, and intentional... Yeah, there's... Lack of intention, if Th- that makes there's sense. There's nothing Malcolmus didn't intend you to feel, but at the same time, he's like he sort of doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, like what you felt is just like, oh, okay, yeah. Sprezzatura is like yeah. the, the 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 painting version of that. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna make this seem like a paint splatter. Yeah, but it's not. You know? Right, right, yeah. And they were yeah, they were really good at it. When you um, so. You come up with all these and you, and you sort of parse – this actually sounds a little bit sort of like – you're familiar with uh, William Burroughs, like the cut-up method? No. So what William Burroughs used to do – and this is how like Naked Lunch was written. Uh-huh. Um, he would make tape recordings of him saying things and then um, these long like diatribe sentences and stuff. And then he would take them and he would actually chop up the tape. Mm-hmm. And then what came out was a whole nother thing. Right. That very often though uh, – Contained the intent of what he meant in the first place. Sure. So he actually physically uh, sort of manipulated this uh, this thing so that it wasn't like upfront in your face and obvious. Whereas you are, you know, thinking about it and actually like committing it to paper instead of just letting it like sort of fly. Mm-hmm. Is what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's interesting. I didn't. The cut-up method? Yeah, the cut-up method. Yeah, look it cool. up. It's, fa- it's fascinating. It's like, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't just him. It was like Ginsburg. It was a lot of the beat guys. Uh, it involves a lot of heroin. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, because it, it was just getting fucked up. And like, oh, this would be a good idea. Let's destroy the English language. And in doing so, they came back with something that sort of reinvigorated the English language, according to some. Right. And But that's also, uh, you know, what you're talking about. It sounds to me like something I'm interested in too, which is rather, it sounds like something you're doing. Well, but like yeah, in, I didn't in a even different know way. That. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I'm interested in, in the concept of 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 networks yeah. of of images as opposed to um, kind of very linear mm-hmm. images in storytelling, especially in songwriting. The way that I approach writing a record and writing songs is is okay. There are like three or four th- problems mm-hmm. that I'm trying to solve. And I'm not really going to try and solve them as much as I'm going to try and connect them um, across songs, across metaphors, across images. And so uh, it, it is less about – it's almost like I, I am – I have – okay, A, B, and C are my problem. Right, right. And then I cut it up and I say, you know, problem is A, C, B, you know, things like that. So does it become like a, a – all these things become like a back-ended sort of concept? 
album to you or, or is that within a song or within an album or is that well something like shift away i think mm-hmm. that it ended up being about um about about space about my relationship with space mm-hmm. um f- you know physical space yeah. about uh not not like the final frontier. That would be awesome. <laughs> that's about, well, well, actually, that's no. The, the last notes of of uh, Alvar Aalto, like that's just pure sci-fi like soundtrack. Kubrick, yeah, yeah. It's a man. I was just like, totally. Yes, I'm I'm down with that. Um, so it's uh, it's about my relationship with space, about uh, my relationship with um, like aloneness and, and about being alone, mm-hmm. and and about how space kind of ties into that. It's also about memory and about about loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so throughout the whole album, there are these like I'm trying to connect those dots as much as I can right. about how, uh, you know, X connects with Y and how Y connects with Z and, and, and things like that. So it's really it's less of a concept album and more about um, trying to just throw in little Easter eggs. Right. It's, it's instead of instead of taking the direct path. Yeah. On a journey. You're and Gus, you're gonna get shocked. <laughs> um, instead of taking a direct path, it's like you're 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 taking the path and seeing this thing off the path. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you're gonna talk about. You're still in sight of yeah. your center line and stuff. And then it goes through. I mean, the sound is pretty consistent on the album. I mean you definitely yeah. you know, gotta overall like this is what shift away sounds like. Yeah. Uh which by the way, for a debut album, that's Sort of badass. Oh, thank you. Uh, we, yeah. uh, Paul, who was he was going to be here, but um, we have differing opinions of what an album actually is. But that's his hard definition. Like it has to sound like cohesive and can't just be a collection of songs. Yeah, and I can vacillate back and forth on that definition on, on that line. But in this case, it does. I mean, it you put it on. I think by the fourth song, maybe like you can't get out. You can't turn it off. Oh, that's great. And yeah, yeah I, and, it, and it's it's when you see a lot of people this year even like making albums that you, you can just like – or like the Weezer album we just listened, <laughs> I just listened to upstairs. Uh, you know, uh, and you put something like that on, uh, it's – it it takes a little while for it to catch on. Yeah. But I see this like continuing to like catch on more and more. I mean NPR featured a song. Yeah, they they were I mean, really messed up to write about fold. That was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, I mean, because and Bob is just a lover of like music, but he's a lover of, like this type of music in particular. So, yeah, absolutely. So without knowing it, you like tickled his funny bone. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that square right, right in the target. Yeah, it makes sense. I uh, I don't I I that was Ali Schweitzer from WAMU mm-hmm. was was nice enough to write that about the track and um. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Bob and I were on a panel together, um, a uh, – it was like a listening panel. The uh, Guitar Center? No, no it no, was no. Um, at um, – it was a, it's a gallery space near DuPont. Yeah, oh, I know yeah, I know which one you were at. Yeah. I'm blanking on the name. No, yeah, I don't know the name. Uh, our mutual friend Sean went too, I think. Yes, yeah, Sean yeah. was there. Um, and I, you know, it was, uh, it was really cool to get to, to, to hear him talk about what makes a cool song. It was, uh, the, the concept was everybody brings three songs mm-hmm. or every panel member brings three songs. And then the audience would hold up scorecards about what they, uh, what they liked and what they didn't like. Um, 
I kind of misunderstood the conceit a little bit and I brought songs that like are challenging and maybe not the most fun to listen to, right. but start a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So I, what were the songs? Um, I brought in, um, an, an Anna Meredith piece. Okay. Uh, do you know Anna? Meredith? Uh, I, I've heard the name. I don't think I've heard her. She's a, a composer. She does a mix between symphonic work and electronic work. She's really like melding the, the structures between like pop music and performance music. Mm -hmm. Um, but like people were like getting together and taking, uh, their six scorecards and in threes getting together and like holding up a six, six, six and (laughs) covering up the one on their 10 to give zeros. People were not into it. Uh, Uh, Not not to, uh, bust on the NPR crowd, but sometimes not. I don't think that was an NPR thing. No, no, no. I think that that's just like, I totally misunderstood the point of the whole thing, which is like people were ready to listen to music they liked, uh, and maybe not. Well, that was the point I was trying to make. Like, they're like, Oh no, this is not going to challenge me so much. And then. Sometimes. Yeah, I don't know though. Maybe, maybe it's my fault. Maybe, maybe it's my. So, so you had that song, and then, uh, and then I also brought in um, the music from uh, one of the, um, I think, Generation Five iPhone commercials, <laughs> uh, because I I make commercial music and yeah. like I I I have a lot to say. Yeah, maybe too much about. Um, this is music that's in our lives constantly. Yeah. And like, we just don't talk about it. Right. We don't think about it. We don't hold it up to any type of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. It's just noise. Uh, yeah. And it is a tastemaker on a lot of levels. Um, so, you know, and I, I think I was just the lame dude who brought like a jingle to this party. Right. So, <laughs> I totally, I didn't That's get it. not Bonnie but, Bear. But, no, but my point is, is that I, it was really cool to listen to Bob talk yeah. about, and, and the tracks that he brought in that was like, it, it was great because the, the dude's a genius and he, yeah. he, he just, uh, it was cool to be on the same side of the table as him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your job. Yeah. Uh, which I think is the uh, – in the world of musicians is probably the envy of all musicians. You get to make music yeah. all day long yeah. and get paid for it. Um, how did you start? I started um, – I, I was fresh out of college and I had this portfolio of work that I had done, mm-hmm. both concert music. Like my my senior year, I spent locked in, a, in my room writing an opera. And so like I – that's not useful. Like I just spent <laughs> spent a year, so I like had my opera and I brought it in to this production company, yeah. um, and I said, "Hey, what do you think?" And they're like, "That's <laughs> you should work on some stuff and then bring it back to us." Right, so right, I right. I spent a couple months over the summer, like kind of working on uh, commercial music, mm-hmm. um, you know, writing to picture and and writing a little bit more uh, pop sounding stuff, mm-hmm. and then I came back and they're like. Uh, let's let's try it out. So I was there on a kind of trial basis for a year, and then I've been there now for almost four years. So. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So daily, are you faced with questions like, "Oh shit, I don't want to write about this anymore," like this type of product, or uh, is it the like where, where where do you, given that you have, and both are creative, just different sides of the creative coin. Yeah, you have this uh, very uh, unlocked creatively satisfying thing that you can do and make these albums and then and then on the other side is this very could be creatively satisfying but is very locked into like the purpose 
Right. It is very end Or do you see them different? Or do you see them the same? I mean. Well, I see, I, I tend to think about it in terms of, um, uh, I, I'm starting to see my job as more of a, an exercise in communication mm-hmm. rather than an exercise in um, musical expression. Right. So, uh, I see my job as I'm trying to communicate something that my clients um, are right. needing communicated. Yeah. The tools I have are, are music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the tools that a, a, an, an editor has um, is video. The tools that a sound designer has is, is sound effects. Yep. Um, and so I, it, it, I try and bring my taste to it in the sense of like, is this good or is this not good? Uh, but I try and leave a lot of my taste out of it mm-hmm. in terms of um, this. Sometimes I have to catch myself. Sometimes I think, oh, that's something that I would want to put on my records. Maybe something that they would not want to hear. How, how much does do you think viewing music is sort of like an anthropology or like a history of mm-hmm. stuff of what can sell? I mean, that, in pop music and in, in any type of music, there's stuff that sells. There's mm-hmm. stuff that hits. There's stuff that like uh, – you know, I study. I have a degree in psychology, and I studied a lot of that. You know, in my degree, and it's, you know, there's actual stuff. You know, not to burst anybody's bubble that you can write, and that everybody will like. Yeah, it's very, it's very rare that anybody actually can do it. Yeah, but there is, there is a theoretical thing that is going to be pleasing to just about everyone. Right. Like there are, um, there are forums out there on the internet mm-hmm. that are. Just devoted to to hoarding the sounds that Max Martin uses, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's it. That's yeah, all yeah. these people do, and, and they're uh, they know more about Max Martin and about the anatomy of a Max Martin number one hit mm-hmm. than than like I feel like I'll ever know about right. a song. Um, so I think the tendency is to say that there are musical things that you can do mm-hmm. to make it a hit. Yeah. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't really think that the music is uh, the end-all, be-all of of what makes something popular. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I th- I think that um, my coworkers and I were talking about Mumford and Sons. Yeah, the other day, right? Um, I don't want to buzz market Mumford and Sons, so maybe we could just bleep out Mumford and Sons. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> you'll get the second bleep. Yeah, <laughs> the podcast. Uh, so, um, and we were, t- we we're talking about how the tunes, the mm-hmm. tempo structure and the beat structure of the drums, like this is house music. Yeah. Uh, this is four to the floor mm-hmm. house music. Uh, and, and it's like, we were talking about why it's so popular is because yeah. it's got that beat structure of dance music that's in every hall across the world right now. Yeah. But it also has – it satisfies what a lot of people think to be um, kind of the sign of authenticity, which is an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so people people get the dancing vibe, but they also and get that, the feelies. And that's sort of the know? thing I'm talking about. I mean that's, that's – if you uh, – like when I said like electronic music, electronic music uh, for me, what I'm exposed to, um, it, it skews towards just simply the dance thing. Mm-hmm. And like – Someone like me can completely understand how that people simply react to that. You don't have to like music to react to that. That's yeah. just that's the thing about being human. Yeah. And uh, 
so yeah, when you pair that with with mother and sons, like of course it's gonna work. So, but you know, it's kind of the thing where you're like anybody could do it, but only one person did it. And that's that's where the the tricky thing comes in, is yeah. because it, it is is highly theoretical, and I don't think they could tell you how they how they did it. So, in doing this stuff, in trying to sell products, like. Do you uh, do people ask you like specifically like I need it to be like this? Uh, we have we do get a lot of very specific direction, but we also that that's a really it, it can be helpful up to a point. Yeah, um, but it's also a really big obstacle to get people to help get people over to help get clients over. Where it's mm-hmm. like um, when you get married to an idea, and then for either you know legal reasons. Or just practical reasons, you can't follow through on that idea. Yeah, uh, y- you have to be able to work with people to to get the most out of out of their spot. Yeah, uh, that that you can do. It is helpful though because there's a lot of things that um, you communicate when you're when you say, "I want it to sound like this." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that you have to do is you have to figure out, are they talking culturally? Are they talking about the subject matter? Yeah. Are they talking about the drums? Are they talking about the guitar? Are they talking right. about the synth? You, so you really, it really is a, um, an exercise in trying to de, like deconstruct what the meaning culturally and musically of that yeah. artifact is. Yeah. What, what does it mean to this person? And right. in the context of this, what is it, what is its, um, uh, like what's encoded in that, yeah, yeah, yeah. In that message, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So that is in terms of, I think in terms of consuming music, like I think that this job has made me a hundred percent a better consumer of music because there is no such thing as just the music itself. Mm-hmm. It's always wrapped up in the mechanisms of, of reproduction yeah. and the mechanisms of marketing and, and, and just the general idiom of the culture that it's a part of. Um, so it's, it's really kind you know, I think that it's easy to talk just about music, but yeah. it's like, it's harder and, but I think more fruitful to talk about how like, well, yeah, the, the notes are this, but it also has all this other stuff that yeah, makes yeah. it what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you go into the studio, uh, do you work by yourself? Do you work with other people? Um, do you have like a team that there's a, yeah, there's two other guys and, uh, but I'm, I'm, we're all on our own. Um, and so we just do, we do our own thing and then, uh, we have, we're all working on the same stuff. Well, no, I was actually talking about on your album. Oh, my album. Yeah. 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 No, it's just, it's just me. Um, for the last album, it, it was just me. Um, and the guitarist that I work with, Noah Berman, he played on some tracks, there's a bassist that I worked with named David Summers. He plays on some tracks, mm-hmm. but basically the way that I do it is I go in, um, and, uh, I spend a lot of time there on my own mm-hmm. processing the sounds, recording the sounds, performing the sounds. And then at the end of the process, I kind of brought people in. Um, and my whole thing is like with this album was making like letting those performers in on my process. Mm-hmm. So we'll play the tunes and then like, I want them to be there with me when I fuck up those sounds. Right. Um, because I think that that's, 
part of the performance and I want yeah, them absolutely. to sign off on that too. Uh, so it, it it's not your average like I have parts written out for them or they have parts written for me. Right. It's very much like imp- improvisational in that yeah, regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when – now you said when we started talking about you know being able to d- reproduce stuff in the studio – uh, live do you look to sort of fuck stuff up live yeah my my general aesthetic is uh um just i like see where it goes yeah i i i turn the knob to 10 mm-hmm. and then i just slowly work my way back yeah um it's it's one of the challenges of having someone over your, my shoulder in the studio mm-hmm. is is that i've internalized a type of patience that I think most normal people wouldn't have, <laughs> which is like, it's going to take me like three hours to get the distortion right on this. And so right. I should, I'm, I'm, I'm down for the long haul. Right. But having other people in there with me is, um, uh, th- that can be a challenge, but you know, I've surrounded myself at this point with people who are There's good people who understand that. Yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, Noah and Ethan and Matt, Matt's the drummer uh-huh. on the new album. Um, they get it. It's about, you know, really fine tuning it. Yeah. So, so you, you're in tune with like, I mean, you, when you're looking at it, do you ever just an arbitrary sound? Like you said, the distortion, do you ever just look at it and be like, I want exactly this and nothing this. And you already know what it sounds like. Yeah. That's I, I when I have those thoughts, it is a hundred percent wrong all the time. <laughs> it's like, it's like a really good thing to know though. Cause I say, especially in the mixing process, yeah. um, uh, Gabe Danae from the band Satch Mode out in LA, okay. he mixed it and uh, I, I would say to him hey, how about we do this? And then he would do it and then I would say, hey I just gave you a terrible piece of advice. Like if you could figure out the kernel of what I was trying to tell <laughs> right, you right, right. and then like let's work from that. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that getting feedback from clients every day has made me a little bit more um in tune with letting other people yeah do their thing yeah we i mean we've talked a lot about uh, i don't know if you know like ben tufts he's a drummer in the area and plays with everybody you know, I've, I've i've heard of ben you should meet him you guys you guys yeah. would fucking click like that um and one thing we talk a lot about is um the importance of getting like your ego out of the way when you're creating mm-hmm. because there are times when you're right there just are if you're creating something, but if you're going to do it with other people and stuff, like there's stuff that can be added and stuff. And like you said, you know, you just say, get to the kernel of this and, and that ends up working out a lot of times for the better. Right. But at the very least, it turns out that at least here's this other option. Yeah. That's equally valid. It just might not work. Yeah. You know, it's still there though. And it's something that maybe, you you just you is right off the side of your vision and you couldn't quite get it. Yeah, I I I definitely agree with that. I also think that as a band leader, which is something that like lead singers mm-hmm. usually end up being. Yeah. Um I think a lot of my responsibility is done well before I've gone into the studio. Yeah. In terms of I like to write in the car. Okay. So I just something about, or on, and on the train too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a cliche, but there's something about matching motion mm-hmm. with uh, with writing that I've always I've always identified with. And so basically, by the time it gets to uh, 
by the time it gets on tape, yeah, it's like my job is kind of done in, in a certain sense. And at that point, my job, I see it, is to get the right people in the room yeah. together and to make sure that the environment um, is is cultivated so that they can do their thing. Have you ever done that and then and then you've just been like, this is all wrong. This is horrible. Uh, no, you know what? I, I haven't. And, and maybe it has been all wrong. But I think that another thing that I learned from my job, you know, writing music every single day mm-hmm. is that ideas are pretty expendable. Mm-hmm. Like there is no such thing as an idea that's like, at least I've never had it. That's perfect. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's... Yeah, yeah. It, but it, some people think that. Some people are a, like, this a lot is, of people think this that. is the idea. We're, we're in a city where everybody thinks that. <laughs> right, so. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But you know, I, I don't have a problem spending five hours in the studio mm. and us making something that's really weird yeah. and is just for us. Yeah, and then it's like, uh, well, uh, I, I guess we learned something from that. Yeah, I'm not going to use it. Yeah, but it's not terrible. Um, I don't really feel the frustration around that. And so I don't f- ever walk away thinking like that was all wrong. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it, it's more of a flow thing with you. Yeah, really. And, yeah. and um, there are just like so many demos lead to other songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's impossible to plan it exactly the way that you right. see it going. Right. So it, it's really important to kind of – um, for me, it's really important to just kind of like be there mm-hmm. for that, for those changes and kind of in the moment, know w- what the song wants to do and just do that. Yeah. So you also, uh, produce other artists. Yeah. And so far you've used Steve, uh, Shapley, right? Stranger in the Alps. Stranger in the Alps. Yeah. Uh, who else have you produced besides him? There's a, uh, a, a friend of mine named John Henry Hoagland. Okay. He, uh, is based out of Brooklyn now. Mm-hmm. He does really beautiful uh, solo guitar and electronics work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so far those are my two main right. artists that I've worked with. Th- the main thing is, um, just getting those guys in the studio with me. Uh, and we just spend a lot of time rearranging. Okay. That's, that's really my main aesthetic. I, I'm, I don't think that I'm the best producer to, to, for a band that already has the vision. Sure. That they well, And a producer role can be like many different things. Exactly. And My so. thing is mostly about like getting people to trust me to kind of do something a little different from what right. they're used to doing. Now when you say different, do you hear say one of steve's songs and then be like i think that should be like one of my songs (laughs) (laughs) no you know that's that's the temptation though Uh, yeah well yeah and that's the thing i mean i know you don't i mean i I just from talking to you for like like 40 minutes like i know you don't but it's tough though i mean i definitely have to keep that in check and and steve and i are close enough where you know steve could say this is not this is not a louis week song yeah this is a this is a stranger in the app song. And I, I know what that means. Yeah. You know, so, um, well, what I do try and instill with the people that I work with mm-hmm. is that like records are different things from performances. Yeah. They are, it's its own object. And so you, I, I think you should be making use of all the tools you have available to you. Yeah. Um, 
the challenge then is to make something that's concise, you know, mm -hmm. and not meandering. Yeah. Just because you have every tool doesn't mean you should use it. Yeah. But it's it's uh it's it's getting people to kind of embrace the the difference between performance live performance sure. and the and the record. Well, because if you just want a record of your songs, just fucking like plug a dat into the yeah. like into the board when you're playing and you got a record of your songs. And and also there are like a lot of there's just a lot of people that are really good at that. Mm -hmm. Um those aren't my skills, yeah. you know. Uh I I don't know enough about audio processing and right. about just basic engineering techniques. Yeah. That's not my thing. Right. Um so yeah, I think a lot of it's me leaning into my strengths, but mm -hmm. it's also me really believing in this the art form of records. Yeah. And recorded music, it should be its own thing. Yeah. Um yeah. so so that's my general philosophy about it how do you think uh say a year from now mm -hmm. say your new album comes out it's huge you're playing through a, like a sold out 930 club who's only heard your record yeah and you come out and all of a sudden what you're doing is not really your record like it's the songs but it's something like completely different how do you how do you make yeah. how do you bring them to you in that sense well that's i mean i don't that's the other thing is that a performance is not a record. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's but the expectation from a lot of those people is going to be like right. I want to see the record, right? And that's the see that's why uh, I've surrounded myself with mostly jazz improvisers. Oh wow, okay. Um, because these are guys who really know uh, their craft, which is live performance. Yeah, you know, motivic improvising. Um, just basic badassery, like in front yeah. of other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so I, I like to think that if there's any, um, if anyone's frustrated that it doesn't sound like the record, mm -hmm. that'll be overpowered by the fact that it's just awesome. It sounds face. like yeah. something new and like it. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that that's my general. I also think that performing live is a good exercise in like a, boiling a song down to its essence. Yeah. Especially for electronic music, mm -hmm. you can't recreate everything. No. Um, so I kind of have to pick and choose the most important samples mm -hmm. to bring in um, and that can be triggered live. And Absolutely. Uh, so it, so it is, it is a, it's a process that's – I like it because it's kind of like a curating thing. It's mm -hmm. like this is what I think is most important about the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know – the com if you think the compression rates are what's most important like yeah. <laughs> but i don't i don't i can't help yeah, you no, no 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 i mean it's the song i think it's uh, i don't know if you've seen or are familiar with uh sylvanesso yeah uh, but yeah what they're doing is is very similar you know they they very much uh recorded an album in their bedroom yeah like quite literally and uh but live it it becomes that like you can't do a lot of that and you sort of make it and make it its own thing and stuff i can say from seeing you once you do that i mean i had no expectation but then i heard the record i was like what <laughs> like, yeah like, but uh, also it's like you know i try like i've said this i try and swerve into mm -hmm. the situation right so uh it's there's just no way that you can do the record live right so just don't even try just don't even try yeah just leave it at that just yeah. let it be its own thing and yeah that's that's my thinking about yeah it. so the new record yeah. What can we expect different from Shift Away? Uh, it's – the other – Shift Away is, is sample-based. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I think about it. Okay. Um, this is very much performance-based. Okay. The tunes are written 
and performed and kind of the whole general philosophy and approach to it mm-hmm. is about getting people in the room and making decisions that way as opposed to making decisions on on the computer right um there's a lot of stuff that is uh the woodwinds player and the saxophone player he's a genius yeah. and he made these beautiful arrangements and so that mixed with the live drumming uh-huh. which is a new thing for, yeah. from the last record mixed with noah's guitar playing mixed with some of the computer processing that i have right um it it is a very much it's a lot more um has a lot more of a presence than the first record right um and i think that the the shift away has uh, a distance to it uh-huh. like it definitely has a scope yeah yeah, yeah. that's a, a lot wider mm-hmm. than this record um but they're just they're really different they're different uh endeavors right um i'm really excited about it see that's fucking cool though i mean that that is like like I knew you thought about the music a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm actually trying to wrap my head around how much you actually think about it <laughs> like, because uh, I mean you can you can listen to anything you do and be like yeah that guy really is thinking about this shit right but that's the- but and, and there's nothing wrong I, that's that's the way you should be doing it but like it's fascinating to say like yeah we sort of did it's it's in my same world but we sort of did something almost completely different in making this new batch of tunes and doing that. Um, yeah. When they come out, is it going to be like presented using that sort of new like methodology or we've already played a lot more live shows. Okay. Um, and kind of, we recorded it over a weekend in July. Okay. And, uh, since then that ensemble drums, saxophone, guitar, sometimes bass, um, and me on keys and vocal, uh, we've played like 200% more than we ever have before. Mm-hmm. So it's uh we're very much em- embracing the the performance element of the record yeah. and and really trying to stay sharp yeah for when for when it comes out. Yeah. When um is any of that because the record's not out? Is any of that like in a performance you're like oh shit, like that little thing just happened. Maybe we should go back and like put it back in. You know, I'm I'm touching. I we just touched up the final mixes and yeah, but final, right? That's <laughs> the like, thing. I yeah. you can't you can't hear this that I'm doing all of the air big quotes. air quotes. Um, I, yeah, the the instinct is to to always go back. I'm really trying not to. Yeah, uh, because I I'm I'm like already thinking about the next one. That's just kind of yeah. how how it works. I feel like if I stop, then it'll stop. Um, That's a very good way to be. <laughs> so I'm I'm just trying to make sure that that if there is a wave, that yeah. I'm, I'm on it. You yeah, know? And then you get everything out, and then yeah. But also, just kind of, I think that that's a good uh, way to stop yourself from thinking that you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not in a not in a cynical way, but just I think that as an artist. I wouldn't call myself that, but if if that's what you're going to devote yourself to, right. to art, I think a really dangerous thing you can get into is I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Aesthetically, this is right. 
uh, in terms think, of like other people com- coming from like social validation, so or like just that. like it's just like when you reach a point where you're not questioning yeah. your work. Um, there are things about uh, every piece of recording that I've made that I love, mm-hmm. and also things that I'm like, man. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's just the nature of, of making stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, it's all about um, being a part of the process and, and really um, loving writing as opposed to loving having written. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is reverse. It's totally reverse from being a writer. Yeah. <laughs> like, best thing is when it's done. Exactly. Not, I mean, but not really. Not really. There's, right. Uh, and when you're writing anything, when like music, like words, anything, it, it is. Um, if it's not if if it's not striking you, yeah. I don't want to say it's like writer's block, but sometimes it's just you can sit down to do something, and you're like, nope. And but then you can keep going doing something else, and then something comes in, and you might get only a little snippet of it. Yeah. And so it sounds like you've learned, which is a really important lesson to learn, that like you, you just have to do that. You can't yeah. you can't do that and be like, this fucking sucks. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah. All the time. There's that awesome Henry Miller line. He has this these great it's like ten rules for writers. Yeah. And I, I have it um over my computer in my office. Nice. And and my favorite one is when you can't create work mm-hmm. and it's it's this idea that uh it's not all going to be what you consider to be creative but it is creative in the sense that you will yeah, yeah. have to be continually generating content yeah you're flexing a muscle exactly I mean, exactly that's, that's and so, is, so so it's you just have to be a part of it yeah very cool well we're at about uh an hour cool. uh is there anything else you want to talk about or no, this has been a blast. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming down, man. Uh, right on. Really glad we could make it happen. Anytime you want to come back, certainly come back when the new album comes out. I will. Because I want to pick yeah. your brain about it. Because I, I, I don't think – I could pick your brain for an hour about this shit. And I, I just not, – not to flatter you too much, but I mean this is a fucking phenomenal achievement for a debut album. Thank you very much. It is. It, Thank you. It gets uh, – if anybody has not heard it, go out and buy the shit. <laughs> Thank <laughs> because, you. Yeah. Because uh, you will uh, – I played it for somebody today, and they're like, I'm so glad people are making music like this in D.C. Oh, man. And I was like, fuck that. Just making music anywhere. Well, that's fine. Thank you. Um, oh, actually, you know what? One more thing yes. we should talk about. The house shows. Uh-huh. So you've been playing a lot of them. Yeah. How do you see uh, – we touched on it a little, like how the scene is coming up, but uh, it seems to be an explosion of this stuff. I guess so. So yeah. as – well, I mean, there, you know, you've got uh, – uh, not rocket ship over here, but dugout is over here. Paper house, bathtub republic, the little place you played, uh, the Alamo. The oh God, where did I see Steve play? Uh, somewhere else, jam jar, jam jar. Yeah. Um, how, as a uh, performing performing musician, how do you view that as far as like, I guess, career wise, what you what you're gonna do? Oh, in terms of like, it, do I feel like it's a well? There's 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 a very um, and this could be at some point, and maybe we we will have we've had it before on the podcast. Maybe I'll have you back when we are seriously discussing like the sort of making it in a live setting, like getting your band booked, getting all this, making mm-hmm. money and stuff. The common belief and is I think mostly right is that this sort of explosion, especially in DC is very good because, um, you might not 
be out making money per se at doing this, but you're out playing shows. Mm-hmm. How does that work into being a like a, a working musician? Not a working musician like you writing like jingles and stuff, but actually in a band. You know, I I uh I don't know if I've done enough of them mm-hmm. to be able to say with any confidence one way or another, but I do think that what it does do is I think that there is a level of of engagement socially mm-hmm. um that is definitely a positive thing. Yeah. Um from a musician standpoint, in terms of like uh, creating a community, yeah. it's uh, it's like the it's the best thing that that could happen. Yeah, um, because it's not dependent on on one venue. Right. It's a it's a family mm-hmm. uh, affair kind of thing. So, um, but I also think that it's it's a really good way for people who aren't musicians. Yeah. Um, to like. Uh, support music in a way that maybe satisfies um, their beliefs in terms of like, okay, who do I want to give my money to? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of being a, a a conscious consumer of music. Yeah. Um, I'm all for that. I, I, I don't know from a practical standpoint how sustainable it is in terms of like to make a living off of it. Right. I do know that there are a bunch. I used to open up back in my like folk days. Mm-hmm. I opened up for this band called the David Wax Museum. Oh yeah, huh. um, yeah. I actually talked to David on this podcast. Did you? Yeah. Great. He's fucking amazing. Uh, he's a great. And his. his Have you an, met Melody, their kid? Yes. She's fucking amazing. Uh, yeah, everybody in that band so yeah. fun. And we like played a. I played oh. a show. Uh-huh. I opened up for them, and I was just amazed at how many people came to uh-huh. see them, uh, at this house. And they were doing it all over the country. Yeah. Um, and that's when I kind of realized that th- this is something that I shouldn't ignore. This is yeah, this is a venue option that, that should be. Well, the interesting thing about what David's doing now is that they're doing it all over the country, but they're taking those lessons that they, they learned from doing in this house scene and then getting that into, uh, into venues. So obviously the capacity goes up, the ability to make more money comes in, uh, which they have to do. I mean, they're mm-hmm. a family now and this is, and any artist at some point I think has to look at sustainability of what they're doing. Right. Um, yeah. So I, it's, it's just pure curiosity to get your opinion on that Yeah. because it, it, there's, there's a lot of, like, I want to see it. I, I, I want to see it evolve. And there, there are parts of it that I'm like, I not seen it evolve and it is pretty, early yeah for this movement here well i will say that um not to take this with the grain of salt that yeah, it's yeah. intended but uh m- when um friends of mine who come down from you know brooklyn yeah uh to dc uh and, and then they go back up to to brooklyn mm-hmm. to tell their musician friends about the dc scene like yeah. the house scene house show scene right N- nobody really believes it um yeah just mm-hmm. in terms of the not only the turnout but also yeah uh the fact that there is there is such a robust scene yeah um i think it's really special that you have people that aren't frankly that aren't musicians who come to these things yeah um uh, that this is a viable option for just fans yeah is a really cool thing 
Yeah, and, I, was and at, I was at Paper House on Friday. I actually saw Sean, but uh, the band, and uh, this sucks that I don't remember their name, but they were they're amazing. Yeah, and like I wouldn't have seen them even at the backstage of the Black Cat here because mm-hmm. they're just not there yet. Yeah, you know, but yeah. yet they now can sort of get into town and get into people who are gonna like support them. Yeah, get them in now and then support them further on. Yeah, down the way. Absolutely. So. Well, cool, man. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you very and much, then, Kevin. Uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take right. care. all that um like i said up front this is one of the best albums of the year little music samples don't do it justice Uh, we'll have a link to where you can stream it where you can buy it where you can do whatever you want with it but just for fuck's sake put it in your ears uh because it is just utterly fantastic it's an album that gets better after each listen there's just so many layers and it just keeps going and going so It'll 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 tickle you tickle you a little bit when you first hear it, and then uh, give it a few more listens, and then it'll get sort of in your brain and your ears, and uh, make you feel good. So that is our podcast for this week. Uh, next week, hopefully, I will not be stuffed up. Uh, the next one coming up, uh, a band that we've been such fans of over the years, Hundred Visions, finally got their second album out. So we get to talk about that. I think it's me, uh, myself, Quinn, maybe Adam, and. Somebody finally took us up on our offer. We have said, if you want to talk about music, hit us up. Come talk about it with us. Uh, So someone did. So hopefully uh, Patrick will be on the next podcast talking about 100 Visions. If not, we hope to get you on soon, Patrick. Uh, So there you go. Uh, Besides that, we've got a few more interviews coming up. I did talk to Pond. It was interesting. Haven't decided if we're putting it out yet. Uh, because it was interesting, but we'll talk more about that on the next podcast. So as usual, thanks for listening. Uh, You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us directly on the site. You can listen to us on Stitcher Radio, which is bought by Deezer. I'm not quite sure what that is. I just know that means about 7 million more people have the chance to hear this podcast. So there you go. Maybe we'll get up to 12 listeners. Um, All right. There you go. We will talk to you next week or soon or depending on what timeline you're in right now. See you later, guys.